everybody, and welcome to the In Contention Podcast. I'm Joey Pasco, joined, as always, by Matt Cranstuber. Good afternoon. And Ruben Bressler. Hi, what's going on, guys? Not too much. Too much. Everything. Too much. Way too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a it's kind of a busy weekend. Yeah. It is. There's a ton of events happening this weekend. Yeah, there, there are. Nowhere. There's there are an like open multiple There's multiple uh, Grand Prix, there's an open and there's a classic. And and just like multiple online PTQs, IRL yeah. PTQs. I mean, this is a magic weekend to be sure. That's right. Yeah, just spread out all over the place. Yeah. So uh of course, In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series, and not this coming weekend, but next weekend, after the Gate Crash pre-release, the right. Open Series comes to Atlanta, Georgia, with $10,000 prize pools in both the Standard and Legacy Opens. If you can't be there, be sure to tune into SCGLive.com and catch Cedric Phillips, Patrick Sullivan, and Glenn Jones in the sideboard bringing you guys all the action. The Twitter hashtag for the weekend is SCGATL. You can use that to join in the discussion, and if you can't make it out, be sure to check out an invitational qualifier tournament near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing, and that is StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. Yeah, we decided to give Cedric a week off. Yeah, for the pre-release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, Cedric right now is uh, commentating with Ossip Lebedowitz. I'm not... Lebedowitz. Yes, the W is a V. I always call it said Leibowitz, you know, <laughs> yeah. like Annie Leibowitz, but you know, right, right, <laughs> I know right. that's not how you pronounce. I think it's Osip, like a hard O. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lebedovich. Exactly. I heard them talking about it yesterday on on the coverage. On, so I'm like, all right, now I got it. Now I there you go. I, <laughs> I, you got no excuse. <laughs> and he's just as good as I thought he would be. Yeah. Yeah. He's insane. <laughs> yeah. He, he. Of course. Uh, if you hadn't heard Osip commentate in the past he had done pro tour coverage a number of years ago and uh, if you google his name uh in or try to find a youtube video with him doing coverage with randy bueller it's it's a bunch of outtakes with him and it's really funny and uh he, he's very very entertaining but um, anyway we we got some good stuff to talk about this week so i'm gonna go over our hashtags here quickly of course we had a couple grand prix in all areas of the uh the globe the two uh grand prix we're talking about are gp bilbao which is in the modern format and grand prix sydney which was returned to ravnica limited and then we're going to talk about the star city games open tournament that was in dallas this weekend there was also a classic tournament in virginia and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about standard as it relates to some of the spoilers that have come in over the last uh, week since we recorded last time. And also a little bit about the uh, environment, which we have some differing opinions on. And then uh, there was a little bit of an incident this past weekend with uh, store run PTQs. Uh, a couple complaints coming in uh, from the vocal minority, as it were. And uh, we're, so we're going to briefly touch on that. So those are our topics. I guess we could start at the top of the list with uh, the modern season format of choice at this point, which is modern. As I say modern, I meant to say PTQ season. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is GP Bill Bow. So I don't know if you have you guys been watching the coverage at all over the last uh, couple days here. I've been looking at it. I mean, there's not any coverage really. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's. To- yeah, I mean it's tough to keep track. They're not exactly. Um, I mean, there's it, there is coverage, but what I mean is it's while I'm napping, so yeah. <laughs> I, you know there's not uh, not a ton that I'm keeping up on. But what from I can tell, it's it's a modern tournament. Like, what are you what are you going to expect? It's mostly Jund, um, with a couple a couple little surprises, but um, not a ton of. Not a, not a ton of innovation, I would say, in terms of archetype, but a ton of innovation in terms of card choices of existing archetypes. Yeah, I want to yeah. say something real quick. Like we've got, I'm looking at the the day two metagame breakdown, and at the top is Jund at 15, percent and at, in second place is Spirit Jund, and it's kind of like, yeah. really, yeah, really, just, you didn't just say 26 percent Jund. <laughs> like, sure. How can we possibly make it not look? Like, there's so much, John. Well, let's split it into two archetypes. I'm just somewhat happy 
that my uh, my uh, fantasy team choice for the last Pro Tour is finally starting to see some play. I think I count three Jace Architects of Thought in yeah. the uh, in the undefeated deck list. I mean, I'm still way behind Liliana. We got some ways to go, but well, uh, that that card is a a very very good card in modern. Not in the undefeated uh, deck list, just a random deck list from the day, I guess. Well, the, the, well, we're going to talk about the undefeated deck list, which has Jace Architect of Thought in it, um, which is actually very similar to the deck that I've been grinding the last couple weeks. But um, yeah, Joey, I agree with you. You know, first of all, this tournament was over a thousand uh, thousand players, so that's a, a good indicator that this is a popular tournament uh, format. Um, if you if you look at the the metagame breakdown, it's after you get past Jund. Uh, you have two decks that have 8% of the metagame, which are Kiki Pot and Splinter Twin. And then as you go down from there, it's 5%. So, like, everything below that is, like, between 2 to 5% of the meta. Um, but there's a lot of them. So, it's it's a very it's a very colorful environment, I think. But, uh, I mean, 26% Jund is not... Uh, I don't think that's a very good number. And actually... Um, Here's what I think about that, actually. <clears throat> a lot of people like there to be an enemy of the format. A lot of people like there to be an enemy number one. All right, I'm going into this tournament, and I'm either going to play this deck, or I'm going to go into this tournament expecting to have to play this deck at least three times. And so I should be well prepared. A lot of people like having that sort of direction, as opposed to current standard, which is like, well, you could play... You could possibly play Mono Red, and you can possibly play Bant Hexproof, but no, who knows? Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't like that. And this is a format that has an enemy, which is good. You know, a lot of people forget that, um, you know, I think that people look at the, the, the Blue-White Delver metagame as unhealthy, and I completely disagree. I think that that was a healthy metagame. It was not like Callblade, where Callblade was 50% of the metagame, and it was or more than 50% of the metagame, and it was winning more than 50% of its matches. The Delver metagame was like 30% Delver, and they were winning like 45% of their matches. So I completely think that that's just a fine metagame. And this is another fine metagame. I think that this is, like, you look at this list of decks, and it's not even including some choices. There's nothing that even does anything from the graveyard in this entire metagame, unless you count Iona Gifts Ungiven. Uh, well, Iona all the Deathrite decks rely on the graveyard. I mean, the well, they gifts. rely on the graveyard, but they're not graveyard-centric. There's no Gorio's Vengeance deck, you know what I mean? Nothing no, like that. They're, they're, I mean, not anything to, you know, like you, you do have the Living End deck, which is... You know, oh, okay, I see that. Yeah, yeah. All the all the storm decks are they are graveyard decks. If they don't have a graveyard, they can't actually win. Uh, sure. So I, I think it's an interesting thing, you know, kind of uh, not just modern, but as you were just referencing, uh, Ruben about Delver. I think a lot of the opinion uh, of metagames now has changed uh, from from the way it used to be a few years ago before there was so much video coverage. I think a lot of it is perception just through video coverage, um, and people say, oh, this is an unhealthy metagame because I'm bored of seeing people right. play Delver and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, the, I the think best you're players correct. Play, play the same deck, that deck tends to do well, and so there's a perception that it's the best deck even when it probably isn't. Like, more people were playing Blue-White Delver at the end of last season than should have. Like, right. that deck actually wasn't that okay, good so at that time. So I, uh, I, I, Ruben said, you know, before we started recording that he wanted me to mention this article that I wrote recently. And I think this is a good segue here. Um, you know, I've been pretty vocal about my, um, I won't say distaste, but just been a vocal critic of the modern format since they introduced it, just because, you know, you have legacy out there and I, I've always been a legacy player and sort of the crux of this article is that I, I'm not very good with change. And so, like, part of it was just me rejecting Modern on the surface because I didn't want it to displace Legacy as a format if that were to ever happen, which, you know, I say is a, a distinct possibility. But then as I've, you know, really put myself into the format and taken a deep dive and started playing the decks and really understanding that, you know, there are a lot of viable decks um, in spite of John sort of being the the monster in the room, right? Right. Anyway, I, I wanted to, to say uh, something. Um, someone left a comment in the feedback of the article. His name is Lyle Waldman. And um, this was like really interesting when I read it. And I'd never even thought about it this way. But he said, um, 
I, you know, I mentioned fairies in the article as, uh, you know, fairies, fairies is a problem that just the same way Jund is, is that it's a, it's bad for PR for the format. Right. And, and you're so, referring to like the way that fairies was in standard. Yeah. Right. So fairies was like this, this, this deck that basically totally warped the format around it. They had to print a lot of cards to, you know, to fight back. And now, you know, you look at the modern ban list, there are multiple, multiple cards on the ban list that were in the fairies deck. And, you know, that's, you look at bitter blossom and ancestral visions, I think are the two bitter blossoms yeah. and ancestral visions. I think you could probably say that Jason and Umazawa's Jite are cards that would very easily port themselves into sure. pretty much any fairies build, but Jite standard, but yeah, that, that makes sense. Jite was pretty important to that deck, I think. Um, but anyway, yeah, visions and, you know, extended. Yeah. Right. So anyway, so he, so I, I say that like, you know, if that was like one of the most problematic decks in all of standard, you know, then it's, but you would assume that John would have something banned. And so he, he kind of illustrated this. And um, so he said that, uh, you know, with every standard, there was a best deck in the format. And if you look at modern, they actually banned something from the best deck of the format. So he, he puts Mirden Kamigawa, of course, affinity, right? right? Yeah. Did, oh, they banned a crap ton of cards from that. Then as you go into Kamigawa Rav, you have Jite's out of the format, which that dominated that format right. for, the entire time it was there. Then if you go to Laura and Alara, you have Fairies um, with Bitter Blossom ban. And then you get into Zenikar, you have Cobblade. And you have Jace the Mind Sculptor and Stoneforge Mystic ban. And then when you get into Scars, you have Ponder ban. Now, that um, is probably more due to combo than it was due to the Delver decks. Sure. But it still is a really interesting point that Jund is the only best deck out of any of those you know, arrows, yeah. Or arguably, any of those formats that doesn't have anything banned. I mean, it's it is unfettered, and 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 there's just no, there's nothing that that is stopping that deck from being the best deck in the format. Yeah, uh, well, that's a really good point. It's a good point, but here's here's my thing. A couple things. First, what are you banning? Bloodbraid Elf. Bloodbraid Elf, probably. We're gonna yeah. ban a, a four drop multicolored creature. Like it's really that much of a problem. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not calling to ban it. All but right. I'm if you want to ban a card, you have you basically have two options. It's either Thoughtseize or Bloodbraid Elf. Like those you are the two. Uh, it, it, potentially, potentially Deathrite Shaman, but I think Deathrite Shaman um, still needs some time in the format. Plus, yeah, it's, let's give it some. T- it's time in the sun before we pass judgment. But Bloodbraid Elf is the card that. I think is probably the most defensible and, and easiest to take off the list. Uh, mostly because it it's the card that allows Jun to beat all the decks that it has basically bad matchups against without it. So if you take that away, then it, it has to play fair magic against decks that just play one-for-one one magic. And that's why Jun continues to just do so well. Now, it's funny we're talking here in... January 2013 about banning Bloodbraid Elf because <laughs> go back a few years and people were talking about it in standard and you know I, I just sent a link to uh, to Ruben and Cranny through our chat here because Big Head Joe actually created a petition to ban Bloodbraid Elf <laughs> and uh, you know if you Google ban uh, Bloodbraid Elf you'll find the petition the official petition to ban Bloodbraid Elf and. Uh, I, I'm actually there's 66 signatures, so obviously not a whole lot of of support for that. But you know, who knows? Maybe you guys, maybe we need to to uh, get this going again. But. I think that that's that's dumb. I think that it's fine. Um, and it, here's here's my opinion of it. Somebody said I forget what it was in in like it was Legacy or Modern. You ban everything until Wild McCoddle is the best card, and then you ban Wild McCoddle, right? And that's what they did. And now the best deck in the format is around a four mana three two, with haste and cascade, sure. But that's how the format's evolved. I think that's awesome that the best deck in the format is just a bunch of good cards shoved together that you I, can fight from several different angles. You know what I mean? I and think also, that. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and people love playing Jund. New well, players okay. like Jund because they can but wrap that- their head around it. Well, okay, so that's that's part of why I think that John is a problem deck, is that at first of all, you have a thousand person Grand Prix where the metagame breakdown for 
I think this is a day two. It's a day medic- two breakdown. So it's like 131 it, players left. So there's, you know, is, three decks or so that are. Uh, well, t- 26% of a metagame is not healthy for, for a deck to take. And, and like, you, when you have, you know, Cobblade and Delver and Standard, that's, that's one thing, right? Because that. You're talking about a much more contained environment with much fewer options. And now you're looking at a format that has, you know, 10 times the card pool that standard has. And you're talking about a deck that can constitutes 25% of the metagame. And that's actually um, a realistic number for most tournaments, I would say, yeah. is between 20 to 25%. Jund is just too difficult to fight out that I, I don't think I don't think that's a good I don't think that's a good number for the format. I disagree. I think that if you go into a format if you go into a tournament and the only deck you want to beat is Jund, you can beat Jund. If the only deck you want to beat is Jund and like three other decks, you can beat Jund and those three other decks. The problem is that people are over like over metagaming and they want to beat Jund and all the other decks, and so they're, like, shaving on their Jund hate to be able to beat, you know, Affinity and putting stuff in their sideboard, like Stony Silence, that doesn't matter against, you know, Jund, that they could have had other sideboard cards to be able to deal with the decks that they're probably going to end up playing. That, that's the problem, though, Ruben, is that you should be building a well-rounded deck with a well-rounded sideboard that doesn't have to hedge against a deck like Jund, and Jund is a is a disaster for having people to you know you want people to brew you want people to play sort of off the wall decks you don't want ha- you want you don't want them to show up to a tournament knowing that well I'm just going to lose to Jund because then you're not going to win any magic like if you say well I beat Twin and I beat Pod and I beat you know Blue Red Storm and all these decks but I can't beat Jund well you're not you're not going to top eight then and that's the, that is exactly what I found. I'm playing this Esper deck, uh, which if you look at the coverage um, for Bilbao, uh, it was one of the undefeated decks. It's very, very similar to this. He's running Gifts Ungiven and a few other cards, but it's the same basic idea. You run Deathrite Shaman, Snapcaster Mage, Lingering Souls, and then Planeswalkers, and then you use a bunch of support cards. And the thing is that this deck is is a dog to Jund. It just can't, can't be Jund, but it beats all the other decks in the format. And that sounds an awful lot like <laughs> Affinity Standard, Fairy Standard, Jun Standard. You don't want a modern metagame that plays out like a a, um, a standard format that has a Predator deck. I think you want to have a lot of decks that are good sort of across the board, but to have a 25% take of the meta when all these other decks have 5%, I don't know. That just doesn't sound right. Yeah, um... It's it, it, it's kind of silly to think that they could uh, that they would they would ban a card from a deck like Jund, but I feel like in the shaping of the modern format, it's something that should be on the table, you know, um, kind of like you you said in your article, Cranny. Like they they need to be really kind of paying attention to this format and shaping it. And I, I don't, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's been specifically expressed as being the replacement to Legacy, but I think we all assume it is uh, eventually going to have to be. It is the the eternal format uh, that is going to stick around when all of our underground seas are falling apart, you know? Right. Um, right. And so it's, it's just this weird thing where I, I feel like Jund is... Uh, it's not fun to have it be such a huge part of the metagame, but it's also not blatant. It's not so blatantly powerful or so blatantly, uh, I guess, format warping that they should be looking at at banning something from it. Uh, but I, I hope that they're discussing it, at least discussing it. If, if I, I guess I'll just say this, and this is why I'm not saying outright ban Bloodbraid Elf. Right. But if you don't think that Bloodbraid Elf is on a board... At Wizards of the Coast, with a target on its head, you're nuts. Like it is, it is the card. It, it, arguably, I guess you could put Liliana the Veil on that list as well. But I think that not having Liliana makes a deck like the Boggles deck just um, a little I, too a, a little bit too good because, like, that's really the only Chainer's Edict effect that you have in the format aside from you know just Wrath of Gods. Sure. But Bloodbraid Elf 
100%. I, I'm, I'm not sure about a lot of things, but I'm sure that Jund is a deck that Wizards has their eye on the same way that they have their eye on Affinity and Combo and Elves and all these other decks. It When you have a deck that starts to get that big, you, you have to contain it. So that, whether or not you think it's broken or not, I don't believe that Jund is broken or not or, or unbeatable. Um, it's not a turn three deck or anything. I mean, you're not talking about a combo deck here, but um, it's still a problem nonetheless, I think. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I will cheer if Bloodbraid Elf shows up on the banned list. <laughs> I think I, I think there are a lot of people that would cheer if Bloodbraid Elf is on the banned list. You guys are nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry that you like Elf so much. Sure. But... I don't even play Jund. I don't like Jund. I hate Jund. I love <laughs> playing against Jund. Well, then I you're love being selfish. playing against Jund. Huh? <laughs> I'm being it... selfish? You're the one whose entire argument was based on playing an Esper control deck. No, no, no. That was just my experience. That, that I'm just, I'm just pointing out that those kinds of decks that you want, you want there to be more of these zany decks in modern. Like you I want also players- want as, I also want as much interaction as possible. Look, that is interaction. I, what Jund is absolutely interaction. No, it's no, no, no. At, at, at the fundamental level, Jund is two for ones. That's all it is. Yeah, it, it interacts when you play against other decks that have two for ones. Yeah, it's a cube deck. What do you want? Every de- every card in the deck's two for one. No, no, no. What? Okay, so um, Jonathan Medina said this on the A team a few weeks ago, like it's like a month or two ago, um, that he played in in an event that had a bunch of casual decks for for modern, and, and it was like really exciting to him to like see all these brews, and like that's that's what you need modern to do for a while. Like you need modern to kind of just get in there and figure out like okay, so there was a there was a mirror tribal deck at GP Bilbao that, that made yeah. day two. Like, you want to have those kinds of decks. You, I bet you that deck can't beat Jun. Because Jun's um, just going to two for one all day long. And well, it, I, be able to fight this, that. I bet this deck has an okay matchup against Jun. For those of you that didn't see this, it's now not on the mothership anymore. But there's a, uh, there's, there are threads across the internet. And it's, on, it's been on Twitter a couple times. Uh, it's a mirror-based Tron list. It has the 12 Ur- Urza's lands... And it looks like 17 mirrors and three adaptive automatons, so it might be legal in uh, tribal. Um, and it's got things like a Chroma's Memorial, two main deck Leyline of Sanctity, um, and four Tempered Steel is the the main thing here. And I don't know, I, I you know I think that the Jund has answers to a lot of these things. You know, it can abrupt a, abrupt decay a Tempered Steel, and it can you know make you sacrifice a mirror, I guess. But I think that this deck is actually probably pretty good against Jund. It's got Mirror and Crusaders and Acromos Memorials and Leyline of Sanctities in the main deck. So I'm, I'm not sold that it's bad against Jund. But the, I, I understand your point, that this is the kind of deck that you want to see, um, even though this one is a very rough build of that. Um I, I appreciate that you want it to be a brewer's paradise. Like the first episode that we talked, that me, you, and Sam had when we were talking about how modern was going to be a format, you were excited for signets to be playable. Mm-hmm. And we've barely seen any signets in any deck. Well, we did. We saw them last season, and I think John is a again. John is hating those decks out, Ruben. Like that's why you don't see signets because John will crush you. John, John preys on these slow methodical control decks. That's what it does, and that's why it's a problem. So you can build all these fun Tron signet. I played against the the most badass blue-red Tron list I've ever seen. It had Body Double, Faithless Looting, Bogarden Hellkite. It, I mean, this deck was just insane, it, it, but it, that deck is not doing anything until turn 4, turn 5, and by that time... Jun is going to overrun. Jun's made you discard eight cards. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, of course, like with Deathrite Shaman, none of your your faithless lootings or your guys that you're trying to body double are going to be active. I mean, it just preys on these decks. That I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but yes, I believe that modern needs some of the silliness. I, it needs players to pick it up and do fun things with it. I know that that's not necessarily in the spirit of in contention, you know, trying to win, P2Q is trying to win, um, you know, 
Star City opens and things. But if you don't have those, you are going to have a format that's going to be 20% red blue decks, 25% John, 20% pod. And then if you think that you're going to be able to have fun building your, you know, fringe deck and win matches with it, you're just not going to. So I think that this is sort of a, a short-term thing that you need to do for long-term growth of the format. Yeah, just just briefly, because uh, I think we want to move on after this, but I think looking at the format, when Modern came out, I know immediately people are like, oh, wow, you know, these strong decks from the past are going to be viable, and they're going to get extra stuff, and, you you know, people specifically mentioned Jund. And then you think of, like, the decks that, uh, cards and decks that kind of were mentioned alongside that, end up with so many cards on the banned list. We mentioned Fairies, uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor. I feel like Jace and Bloodbraid, like Bloodbraid was a natural foil to Jace the Mind Sculptor. And, uh, but Jace also made a kind of, and this is obviously in standard, uh, Jace made control deck, blue-white control deck specifically, very strong. And this is pre-Callblade era. I'm just talking about, uh, you know, World Wake Zendikar era. Uh, so, before Scars of Mirrodin came out, there was no Callblade deck. Um, but Jace made another archetype viable, and it was, it was popular. And you had, like, some good heavy hitters of the format, and you had, you know, this nice natural uh, foil in Bloodbraid Elf. But now there's no Jace there. That, doesn't, that, that kind of makes it so that those kinds of decks aren't as strong because they don't have a Jace the Mind Sculptor, but Jun still has its Bloodbraid Elf, and, um, I don't know, I guess I'd like to maybe see, it, rather than maybe banning something, how about unban? And I know we, we've discussed or mentioned what that could ha- what could happen if you were to unban Jace, but maybe, maybe not Jace, maybe you unban something else. Maybe you unban Bitter Blossom. I don't know, that seems crazy to me, but... I, I think know. that Cranny actually has the right solution, which is, you want to make Deathrite Shaman worse? Do you want to make four-color decks relatively unviable? You ban all the fetch lands, and I know it's not going to happen, but that's just the dream. What about yeah, I mean, that, land dis- land destruction or punish something better punishment for uh, for the multicolor? Well, yeah. not to like hang on the topic too long, but I think this is a good good discussion. Um, when when modern was like kind of getting its legs, and you know, talking about okay, well, what could they print? What could they put in? You know, I, I originally said, oh, you should put in Force of Will, you should put in Wasteland, you should put all these cards, because that's how, you know, you're going to fix the format. And now, like, I've got a totally different perspective. Like, Wasteland, Wasteland's fine in Legacy, because that w- Legacy is a Wasteland format. But if you put something like Wasteland and Modern, I, I just don't think that, I don't think that that card is a very fun card. And I don't think that you want a format that has a card like Wasteland in it. I think, like, the closest you could get is, like, Rashad Import. Um, But even then, I don't think that... I don't think that you're attacking the decks well enough on their own. Uh, I I recently came across a deck list that was Jund, okay? Uh, We're talking 25, 26 lands, three of them basic lands, that had Blood Moon in it. Nice. Oh my okay. god. It it literally had three basic lands and Blood Moon. So I board in Blood Moon to pl- to play against Jun. Like that's my card to to fight right. you. That's you know, you take fetch lanes out of the equation, Jun is like a totally different deck. I I mean you you, to- you I mean you basically make this huge wave in the format. I think like all of the the decks themselves like don't really change at a fundamental level but i think you would see a lot more instead of having four color you know gift decks it would be more like two color with signets you know i think you would get back to back to basics um pardon the pun but you know speaking of another card that i'd like to see printed yeah <laughs> yeah that would be uh, i mean you'd still have i mean people forget that cards like choke i mean that that card exists boil exists Flash fires exist. I mean, you have cards that deal with, you know, these... Yeah, for, for a while, I was playing a Merfolk deck that had four main deck spreading seas. Like, there's ways to fight non-basic lands, but... Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that you have to focus on it in your main deck, I think, would shift the metagame in a weird direction. Yeah. You know, I don't know. So, anyway, check out GP Bilbao coverage. Um, there's some pretty cool decks that they've posted already. Of course, by the time you listen to this, they will have posted the top eight. 
Uh, I just wanted to briefly touch on Sydney that happened. Uh, it's actually already over. And uh, the top eight was really, really good. Um, it had uh, uh, somebody who the three of us are very excited to see back at the Pro Tour. Um, of course, Tomoharu Saito. Oh, I thought you were talking about Stanislav Sivka making time. Oh, uh, he was, yeah, he was, uh, he's, he's a master, uh, yeah, of obviously. course. So Sivka made it, Yuza made it, and uh, Saito. So that that's pretty exciting to see um, yeah. Tomohara Saito back on the Pro Tour. Yeah, by making top four the GP, he's uh, he's requalified, and so it's cool. No, to see. top eight now. Remember, oh, is, all is, the is top it? eight makes it. Oh, oh, wow. Because well, yeah, for some reason I thought uh, I thought they, he, they, they changed he tweeted it something about one my yeah, top they, eight they match really, back on the Pro they, Tour. They didn't really advertise that. I think that all the top eight players get on now. I thought okay. that was based on size. They literally just just oh, was it based on size? Oh, I think you're it's, right. It's based on size. Yeah, I think it's depending on if they hit some threshold. Yeah. Well, um, Saito tweeted, "Won my top eight match. Okay. I'm back on the pro tour." Something I'm along the Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he had to had to get in there. But that that's cool. I'm I'm glad to see him to get back on there. But let's change gears sort of all together. Uh, of yes. course, we are we will have more modern discussion um, as the PTQ season rolls out. As we see more decklists, I I would not be surprised if we talked about it a little bit next week after. We see what won Bilbao. But uh, let's talk about standard. And um, I hate to have another dissenting opinion. but um, <laughs> You love prior- to have another dissenting opinion. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Contrarian prior- lifestyle. That's how I live. That's how I get by. I just, I got to have it. He's the devil's advocate. <laughs> yes. uh, no, actually, no, I'd say we, we have a pretty good... You know, I think we we all agree sort of on standard uh, a lot of times on what we think is good or bad and standard. Yeah, we do. We do. But I was actually kind of surprised when I said this that you guys disagree with me. But anyway, um, so we have the top eight from the Star City Open that happened in Dallas. And uh, it's a pretty diverse top eight. I'm just going to briefly rifle off the deck names here. So we have nine humans. And first, Black Red Zombies, two Bant Hexproofs, Grixis Control, Mono Red, Four Color Control, and Green Black Aggro. So very... Very diverse list of decks. I think what is that? Six different archetypes. Seven. That, so seven. Seven. So uh, very, very cool to see those lists. Um, I when I looked at this though, I, I have to admit that um, I really dislike seeing Bant Hexproof as a deck. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about this archetype. Just uh, you know, uh, I guess to use the word fundamental at, at a fundamental level. I hate that this deck can do well. Um, but really, what the heck is there in the format that fights this aside from cards like Supreme Verdict? And Liliana. And Liliana. Yeah. There's yeah. not a ton. There's no two-mana edict effect right now. Um, I think that, you know, I, I like that Michael Jacob built this deck with a point. And that point is, look what you've done, Wizards. <laughs> you've made the card lifelink. Playable in modern. <laughs> the first time I saw that, I seriously, I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. So, just as a yeah. quick aside on that card, uh, as a question, because people, obviously, Spirit Link is also legal in modern. Right, Spirit Link is actually the strictly better one because it doesn't stack. Right, or it does stack. I mean, yes. Uh, and so, you know, but a lot of lists are, are going with Life Link, and uh, a friend of mine asked me why they would go with lifelink over spirit link and the only thing i can come up with is that the you know the lifelink happens when the damage is dealt but uh right so if you're spirit like, link if you have to block goes on the stats if you have to block it's better because then you gain the life immediately as opposed to whatever right. but spirit link is is better because it hooks up with daybreak cornet pretty well sure okay that was his so. point he was like why are people not playing spirit link instead of lifelink yeah spirit link's the correct choice I think people just don't remember that Spirit Link is a card. Yeah, maybe that's it. So. Yeah, it was like printed in 7th or 8th. So it's like really cool looking art. Yeah, uh, and I, I still like the it, Legends art. But. They reprinted it in 10th, I think, is why it's legal in modern. So, anyway, this so this deck is, has become, you know, it, it's its debut performance was last last weekend or two weeks ago. Um, uh, well, Michael Jake City. was just Yeah, yeah, GPAC. Uh, so, I mean... The deck itself just, does, and, you know, you look at it like this just looks awful. But uh, if you played against it online and you're not a deck that is tooled to be able to beat it, you probably lost. Said, yeah. Uh, it's it's very difficult. I mean, that's why, like, 
the blue-white decks for a while were just running Geist of St. Traft and Snapcaster as the only kill conditions. Mm-hmm. Because there are just so many decks that if you just resolve a Geist of St. Traft, they just couldn't they just couldn't beat it. Just couldn't do it. You're just like, oh, I'll put a guy in front of it. Uh, Vapor Snag it. Unsummon. Snapcaster, unsummon. And you just deal the full <laughs> 20 damage with a single Geist of St. Traft. So this one, you know, they sort of trade in that ability to you know, to disrupt your opponent by just suiting it up with spectral flights and increasing savageries in a three armor, you know? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Here's another thing that new players like to do. They like to build dragons. Yeah, that's true. You know, casting a dragon's fine, but if you play a one, one and then create your own dragon, that's something that new players like to do a lot more. So if you have a creature with hexproof, that means that they can't kill your dragon before Mm. It becomes a dragon, right? right? You see where I'm going with this? So this is why Wizards created this ability in the first place, is because Wizards was like, all right, we're going to make this 1-1, but we're going to give it hexproof, and why not give it unblockable, too? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to put 45 enchantments on it, maybe a sword, maybe a pike, you know what I mean? And, you know, new, new players, I think everybody likes to do that. You know, it feels like you've created something. I like to scavenge onto a dagger drome imp more than the next guy. So uh, I think that that's, that that's a, a thing that they they made it. I'm sure they tested it a lot. Like uh, people out there that are like, look at this mistake you made. Why didn't you test this? Are overreacting. Um, however, there was some brushback from people. And so they were like, all right, we need more ways to you know deal with Hexproof things, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a two-mana edict come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I was a little surprised that Orzhov Charm didn't edict. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I guess that might have been way too powerful. Yeah. Well, I guess if you lost the, li- lost the life the same way that in Vendetta, it'd yeah. probably be fine. Um, and then, you know, you've still got Liliana, and you've still got lots of destroyed stuff, and, you know, there, there are outs to this. Plus, you can also just play Parasolini. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> right? Start playing stuff like Back to Nature. Ugh. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there are outs to this stuff. But then, you know, especially in Standard, you play Parasolini, grats, you've gained three. Attack you with my Geist of St. Traft. Sure, sure. Still. So, there, there are, there, you know, strikes and gutters, ups and downs with how to handle this ability that we've created. But, uh, I think that, the existence of the magic card glaring spotlight has uh, shined a glaring spotlight on the possible <laughs> mistake that they've made yeah, here. Right, right. And so, because that's one of the weirdest magic cards ever, right? Like, yeah, I'm not just. It is pretty odd. So, so let's for people who may not have seen it, I think we should probably just read it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it. I have it on this page somewhere in front of me. There it is, glaring spotlight, a one mana. Artifact. Uh, it's a rare coming out in Gatecrash. Creatures your opponents control with Hexproof can be the target of spells and abilities <laughs> you control as though they didn't have Hexproof. Uh, so you have that, and then you have you can pay three, sacrifice glaring spotlight. Creatures you control gain Hexproof until end of turn and, and are unblockable this turn. So it's, it's kind of interesting flavor-wise where you're like, alright, so here we have the spotlight on the Hexproof guys, so you know, you can hit them. But you put the spotlight out, and suddenly, like, oh, we can't see. We're blinded. Oh, and you're yeah. all <laughs> So originally, I think that this was the card. Someone mentioned that there was a magic card in development that was like a street lamp post or something like that. This is probably the lamp post that was like, yeah, you can see everything when the lamp post on. But when they shut off the lamp post, no one can see anything, guys. Yeah. It right? reminds me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they would like, you know, Raphael would throw his size at the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the street lights so like nobody yeah, could exactly. see him, and they beat up the thugs and. Uh, so that <laughs> nice. I imagine the second ability was like the only thing that the card had for a while, but then they were like, you know, we could probably put this, you know, um, Graph Digger's Cage style ability on this, and just it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what what's going on here. Yeah, it, it but, reminds me. Like I think it's. It's going to be kind of like a pithing needle sort of card where, you know, it's a sideboard card when necessary. And otherwise, I, I don't know that it's going to be like a four of in everybody's deck. No. You know, or everybody's sideboard. It's just, it's kind of fill, filling the same kind of slot where you'd put a pithing needle if activated abilities were running rampant. Right. Um, so, 
I guess uh, something that I wanted to point out sort of before we started the show was, you know, I, I think that we're in a interesting time or not an interesting time, something that we see pretty much every time a new set comes out, especially when we only have the first of a block is that, you know, the format might not be solved, but you're really, you're kind of like anxious. You know, you've seen, you've seen over a hundred cards out of the new set. Most of the mythics, right. most of the rares. And We've so senioritis with this set. With yeah, this, it's exactly right. So you're just like, well, <laughs> I just want to play with the, with these new cards. Like I, I'm ready to put them in. I already know that this card is going to go here and this card is going to go there, or I'm going to try this new archetype out, or this is going to totally make this deck unplayable, it, but you just can't do it. So you've, you've kind of got, you know, we have the pre-release next weekend. And then a week after that, we have the release and then it'll be on moto. And then it's like, Everything that we know about this format will, you know, or is it 50% of it will just totally go away and then 50% of it will change. And so I think that uh, having Bant Hexproof at the top, I don't see any indicator that that deck is going to get any worse with, with Gate Crash. We haven't seen that it gains anything, though, other than like Simic Charm. Well, I think what, I, yeah, I, I think what I was kind of looking for was, you know, are there going to be any Edict Effects? Are there going to be any Wraths? Are there any reasonable disenchant or naturalize effects? You know, what what is it that's going to stop Black Red from being any better? Like, you know, it got Skullcrack. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good card for that deck. So yep. that seems like that deck's going to you know kind of get better. Of course, Naya. I'm looking at the top three decks in this <laughs> list here. Naya gets its dual lands. Naya gets cards like Skullcrack as well. So yeah, the most you know, important card for Naya is Farseek because now Farseek can get you red mana that isn't a mountain. Yes, yeah, and I mean it was already mountain. right. Well, I think we're gonna we're now gonna be at the point where you are going to see deck lists that you know the only reason that they run basics is because people started running Ghost Quarter again, you know, or or you get a Path Dex effect. There's not there's not going to be a lot of incentive to not run a Shockland Buddyland mana base. With very few basic lands, which I mean, already we're seeing most of the mirror animator decks run zero basics. Um, a lot of the Nair decks run zero basics because you just can't even afford to do it because you're running cards like Gavney Township. You know that you just you just can't you can't afford to have a basic planes when you need to be able to hit a turn one mana guy. Sure. So anyway, so I guess my point was that like I'm not like super excited about the decks that have been floating around. Um, you know, with half of the gate crash spoiler out, I'm definitely convinced that gate crash is going to make some waves, but uh, I don't think it's going to do anything to the top three decks in the format except make them better, which are Naya, Zombies, and Band Hexproof, which just so happens that they were in that order at Star City Games Dallas. I think, um, yeah, I, I can't necessarily disagree with disagree with you, but I I haven't given it too much thought either. Um, I think partly it's uh, it's a matter of other decks just coming into the format from gate crash that are going to make these decks worse just because yeah. people are going to want to play different decks uh mm-hmm. and that'll just that'll change the whole dynamic of the format but um you know I, something that you said earlier before we started recording was that you seemed like you know, you know oh we're in that lull of standard and i think the that was the dissenting opinion you referred to where uh ruben and i were both like no st- standard's awesome right now and yeah, standard is so much going on I, it does that's how it, it's strange because you're right Cranny, that in most metagames and, you know, how how long have we all been playing this game that mm. we've experienced this before? You know, this uh, this time where it's just before the new set comes out and you have the senioritis. I think that's a great way of putting it because that's how it usually feels. And it sort of feels that way now, but there are still exciting things happening in Standard, which is not usually the case at this mm-hmm. point in the uh, in the progress of, of the sets. And... Um, I mean, you look at this top eight, and you see Bant Hexproof, which, yeah, that's that's going to get real annoying real fast, and it's already started to kind of get real annoying real fast, but it's literally been a thing for, like, ten days, <laughs> and uh, right. so that's kind of a new deck, and then you have the fifth place deck, Grixis Control. You know, people are still going, I don't need Supreme Verdict, I'm going to yeah. play a control deck with uh, with no white, I don't need Sphinx's mm-hmm. Revelation. All the water graves. Yeah, so, you know, you, Jared yeah, James, I- they're... You know, Rock and Grixis, that's that's awesome. And I also think that, um, yeah, sure, the top three decks in the format get better, but then a bunch of other decks get way better and can leapfrog. Like, 
Anything with Lingering Souls gets way better. Right? Anything with Nathalia Drownyard gets way better. Sure. You know, you've got a bunch of gruel guys, like just regular old gruel aggro with Flint Hoof 4s gets real good. That top aided in San Diego. Um, you know, I think that there's there's plenty of room for growth outside of the uh, the archetypes that are established right now. Mm-hmm. And so... Well, it's funny, uh, too, because... Oh, I'm sorry, Ruben, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, you're fine. Uh, well, I was just going to say the what Cranny said about the Bant Hexproof deck specifically was, you know, what's good against this deck besides Supreme Verdicts and Liliana of the Veil? And I'm like, those are the, those are the cards I'm going to be playing in a few weeks together. Because <laughs> hey, sure, I, got, sure. I got another one that gets real good. Mutilate. Yeah. Yeah, Mutilate. Mutilate is a very, very good target to be good in this set because if you look at a lot of the cards that are, you know, have been spoiled, a lot of them are based on creatures. You know, of course, one of the cards that I I wasn't convinced was going to be um, a powerhouse, and now I actually think might just be one of the pillars of the format, is the new blue-green legend. I'm trying to remember the it's name. Zanaga, Prime, Prime Speaker, Speaker Zagana. Yeah. You know, when I first saw that card, I'm like, eh, yeah, you need other guys for it to be good, and it, you know, if you don't have anything, you're just going to draw a card, and it's not that great. But I, I actually think... You draw a card. It says another creature, right? No, you still you draw a card because he's so oh, okay. at worst he's a six mana one one that draws your card. <laughs> yeah, but sure. like you know the kinds of decks that want to run this guy are already going to run like eight mana guys, you know four far seek. So like you should be able to reliably get this guy out whenever you want. Tuscan Restoration Angel. Yeah, and I think this guy will help sort of sure up those kinds of matchups because the the decks that you're going to play this card in, you're going to be playing life gain. You're going to be playing ways to sort of deal with permanence. You, you might even be playing a bug deck that runs this guy. So, you know, I, I like that it's a creature-oriented format. Um, you know, when you have guys like Prime Speaker and Obsidat that enter the format, Obsidat is going to be played, like, 100%. That guy is really, really good, and nothing kills it. Yeah. <laughs> nothing yeah. kills that guy. Don't have forget this... your return to the battlefield triggers, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, really, really. I mean, the I, I don't like that it trades with Thrag Tusk, which is kind of a kind of not a good selling point for it right this second. But you can expect to see this guy show up. I mean, if you look at the cards that deal with this, I mean, you remember, guys, we do not have Dismember or Path to Exile in this format. So you know, and uh, it, it is not a target for ultimate price. You cannot wrath it away. You cannot Oblivion Ring it a play. It's, no, it is, no abrupt decays. Yeah, no decays. I mean, there. I can't think of murder. Uh, yeah, murder. Murder. Azorius Charm when he attacks. <laughs> Azorius Charm is the one card that I'm thinking you can you can deal with this card. Uh, what about charm. what's it called? The uh, Selesnia Charm also. Selesnia Charm and Unsummon. So like you have non-destroy it's limited though. Yeah. Anyway, I would I would expect that guy to to be very very popular. Um, but anyway, anytime you see a card like Obsidat or Prime Speaker Zagana, you know it's going to make a splash. Like, they don't necessarily wedge themselves into any existing archetype. So, yeah. I, I'm fully I'm fully prepared to see a top 8 that's, you know, Zagana Control or, you know, Ghost Council, you know, White Black Control with Mutilite, you know, or something. I, I have no idea. But uh, Zav, like I, that the, the Mirror Legend. I want to play all three of these legends, not in the same deck, but uh, well, why not? <laughs> but no, Lazav even seems pretty cool. Just the three three hexproof for four sounds awful, but then he's whatever the best creature is, you know that that you can dump in your opponent's graveyard, which isn't that difficult from anywhere. Yeah, exactly. You can dump it however you want. You kill it off the battlefield. You get it out of their hand, or you mill it off of the top of their library, and uh, <laughs> you know whatever the best creature is there. That's what you have, and it's a hexproof version. Hexproof legendary version, so, you know, if somebody were to somehow clone it, maybe stolen identity or whatever, that that's one answer to Lazav uh, that's out there besides uh, edict effects and the typical. I think Lazav is going to definitely see play. Yeah. Cl- I mean, clone effects are already just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, a 3-3 hexproof is, is a pretty reasonable one. Did you guys see the 4-mana blue-black 4-4 flyer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't believe we Double didn't Bob. Even- yeah, we Dusk Mantle Seer. This guy is nuts. He's uh okay, so he's a four four flyer for four. He's a for blue black two. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he has the dark confidant text, except you, it triggers on your opponent's upkeep as well. No, so imagine no, 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 no. It triggers oh, on, your, on your upkeep. Yeah, just your upkeep. Both players get it. Yeah. So, so imagine that you're playing a reasonable... I mean, if there is a blue-black tempo deck in the form, let's say just this guy and Delver and Snapcaster and whatever, and this guy's your curve topper. Like, you realize that flipping anything that isn't just, like, you know, a 2 or, or a 0 or whatever is just exactly what you want to be doing. And you're drawing cards. Um, it, it, not to mention that this is very difficult to, I think, get off the board for most decks. Like, a 4-4... Four, four, Again, we don't have dismember. You don't have cards that just deal with four fours on the board. Like yeah. we've been, and it, you can't ultimate price it, which has been like sort of the uh, uh, removal that has been picking up a lot of steam. I think it's, it's going to go down. Like I think you're going to have to find the other ways to deal four fours. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what else is? Yeah, mortars. Mortars is a card that Asif was talking about on the stream. Asif and Cedric were, you know, saying that. This is a card, like, why are people not playing Mortars? I think Mortars is going to go up a ton. It's in the Grixis control list. I think that might be why they were talking about it. But uh, Yeah, I mean, it, Mortars seems like a great choice to have around. And it also, I mean, of course, if they're suited up, it's not going to help you. But that deals with Hexproof guys, too. And it's a, and it's in a color that, um, you know, aside from Bonfire, you don't really have a lot of other options to deal with, you know, those kinds of cards. So Just one more... Run- Oh, you run uh, Victim of Night, like the uh, the the winning list had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Victim's good. Victim's good. I actually just wanted to point out that Mortars also goes up in, in value if uh, people adopt Frontline Medic. Mm. Because, you yeah. know, your bonfires are not going to be as effective if Frontline Medic's like an actual card that people are playing. You know, they're obviously probably going to play it mostly to deal with Revelation. But uh, I'm like... Not a hundred percent convinced that that card is there to fix Revelation. I think it's probably. And hey, Aurelia's Fury is probably going to see play somewhere. Yeah. Yes, that card's just that. Uh, I forget which playtest session it was in, but one of the playtest sessions, they forgot exactly what the text was when they were proxying up the card, and so they just <laughs> write. They just wrote like, "Do whatever you want." <laughs> on Aurelia's Fury, like that card's actually just the closest thing that we've come to Cryptic Command since Cryptic Command. Yeah, I, I mean, you guys think that that card is just as bonkers as I think it is. So. Yeah, that card's <laughs> absolutely absurd. If that, that card just kept getting better. Like, that card's first sentence was playable, and then its second sentence was like, man, this card's going to see play, and then the third sentence was like, "That's this card can't be real. Yeah, yeah right, right. One thing I, I did also want to say about Dusk Mantle Seer is he uh, he works pretty well with the Demir Charm, the ability to, to stack yeah. your opponent's deck or yours. Nice. You know, that's nice. the first thing yeah. that I thought of. I'm like, oh, how can I stack my deck? Oh, Demir Charm. Oh, well, look at that. The same color. Yeah, and I, I mean, Demir Charm <laughs> is actually, I think Demir Charm's more playable than people are giving it credit. Yeah. Uh, especially if Deathrite Shaman, like, solidifies itself as a really good creature in the format, um, then I, I would expect to see that. It's also randomly good. Just, I mean, the sorcery mode is so much better than you think it is. Like, oh, yeah, I think that is unreal. Well, I mean, Envelop is really good right now just because I think being able to hit a Farseek is the best thing you can be doing right now. Um, Farseek, I, I still believe, is... It, it, I mean, it's like as, uh, about as good as a two-mana spell that you can play on turn two in the entire format. Um, sure. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, and, I, and I think that a kind of deck that wants to play Dust Mantle Seer might want that charm. I also have dreamed about just turn threeing this guy after I Farseeked. So, like, playing it and sort of, like, a bug. Like, you know, again, you have to be on the low end of the curve because you don't want to be flipping fours and fives. But if you play, like, a bug with death rights and, and far seeks and maybe, you know, you can't run birds anymore. But if you yeah, have, like, you mana so you could, you know. You could run bug tempo, it seems like. It's, it's you know, a, it's got potential. And you get something like Simic Charm as well, you know, in that deck. So, yeah. um, one thing that, it, you know, it's funny... Just watching coverage this morning, Osip referred to uh, you know the secret mode on Azorius Charm being the lifelink mode, and I think yep. uh, Chapin wrote his article uh, a couple weeks ago about Demir Charm and said you know Demir Charm actually has four modes of of all the uh, the charms to have a, a hidden secret mode. Of course, Demir Charm would be the the one, and I it's because That's it does fine. it has the counter of sorcery. Or destroy target creature with power two or less, and then the third ability is you can look Actually at your library. Right, yep. it's two. You look at it, either your mm-hmm. library or theirs. So it's then uh, again, Boros Charm is about eight 
different ones. Sure, <laughs> sure, but shh, don't say. Yeah. Don't okay, yeah, let me just tell you. <laughs> yeah, Boros Charm. Um, I I haven't played it in the context of Standard yet, but that card's been in Cube, and holy smokes! If you have that card in your hand and you have like even just a remote board presence, you just you just feel like a million bucks. Like if you're ahead, it's good. If you're behind, it's good. If you're trying to like you know protect your guys, it's good. It is like just ridiculously awesome. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to play one drop zoo in Legacy with Boros Charm at the next Legacy tournament that I play. Yeah, I think you might have you might have mentioned that. I, I like that. That sounds like a good plan. But uh, hey, um, if if it's okay, I'd like to transition, of course, because we haven't seen the Legacy lists. Um, they actually even haven't even started broadcasting Legacy coverage. Actually, yeah, they haven't they haven't broadcasted any Legacy yet. Right. So, um, I, if it's okay, I'd like to transition to our last topic here. Um, which is something that came up this past weekend. And that's okay. Do you guys have any other cards or anything you want to? to no, no, go we're good. Okay, cool. So um, there was a, a PTQ in Indiana, and um, you can you can probably Google it easy and easy enough to, to figure it out. We don't need to go into names, but uh, in any case, the uh, the experience from some of the players that attended the event was that it was a uncomfortable experience. So it was run in a store. And uh, there were a few things that players were complaining about. The two big ones were uh, there were no dealers on site, and the the, the vendor or the um, store did not have a good modern stock. And yes. this event was a modern ETQ, yeah. so right. people were like, "Hey, I need four spell peers. Sorry, we don't have them. Hey, I need you know four vampire nighthawk, four spell center. Sorry, we don't have them. We don't have them." Um, and the event itself had you know like around two hundred players. With an so, 80-person max for the fire code, <laughs> just yeah. mentioned. Yeah. So, you know, those are, like, the two big ones, is that, the, you know, players were sitting there playing their match in the back of the store, just like, I'm not comfortable playing in this small space. So um, the reason that, we you know, it was brought up is because, you know, it brought a conversation on Twitter that eventually involved, you know, the head of organized play for Wati, which is Celine Brajat. And, uh, you know, basically... This could bring about a change to the way that Wizards gives PTQs out. Now, I don't necessarily think that this this will mean that this store won't get a PTQ again, but I would not be surprised if PTQs in certain regions or areas were mandated to have dealers on hand, right? So not just, you know, if you're given if you're a store given a PTQ, you're not the only shop in town that you have to be um, you have to employ at least you know one or two other dealers on site so to have singles, but also that uh, you would not be able to run it in your shop if you weren't coded to support you know two to three hundred players. So what do you guys think about that? Like, what do you guys think of in in the wake of this incident? Like, do you, do you think a change is needed? Absolutely. I think it's uh, I, it it feels like a silly question almost because like <laughs> you can't have people, you can't put people in a situation like that. It's, it's, I mean, there's so many things wrong with this, you know, 200 to 300 people in a space that's meant for 80 max. That's, you know, it's naturally going to be uncomfortable. But of course there's a reason that it's a fire code. It's a safety issue. Mm-hmm. Um, obvi- obviously, hopefully there's no actual fires, but you're still packing people in and you're expecting them to be able to, you know, they're not there for, for an hour. They're there for, Several hours, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and um, this isn't the experience that Wizards wants people to have either. Exactly, you know, and this, it's it's them presenting that. I mean, <clears throat> these stores are representing their brand at these PTQs. Pro Tour qualifiers are one of the biggest ways that Wizards of the Coast uh, turns casual players into competitive players, and when you get hooked on competitive play. You're a magic player forever. You can try and quit, but you're going to get dragged <laughs> back every once in a while to just, you know, hang out with your friends or, uh, you know, uh, just, just you know, I'll lend you this deck. You haven't played for five years. Just come to the PTQ. You're never quitting. So um, PTQs are a huge deal, bigger than Pro Tours. You know, the Pro Tour is, is the is the carrot at the end of the stick. Mm-hmm. The but the PTQs are so much more important to Wizards, and to have your brand represented by a store 
that can't handle, you know, half as many players, let alone the number of players that show up, is a problem. With that said, last year stores were getting half as many players for their modern PTQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were getting 50-person PTQs last year. Now they're getting 100-person PTQs. You know, that's great for Wizards, but the stores probably weren't thinking that. It's probably also perfect or fun for the stores. You're like, hey, we got twice as many buy-ins. Oh, man, I wish we were prepared for this. It's it's funny because, you know, I um, I work with Comic Town with with their PTQs, and they've run some of the best PTQs. They're from Columbus uh, that, oh, yeah. that I've been to in a long time. And um, he has a reasonably sized store. He actually just did a, a renovation to allow for I, – I think we, we gauge that if we move some stuff around that he would be able to fit about 150 people in his shop. Now, it, it's funny that this kind of came up because I'd say like three or four weeks ago, he sends me an email and says – hey, you know what, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm actually going to rent a venue out. I just don't feel comfortable doing it in the shop. And I'm like, hey, I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's it's a little bit better for players. You know, you get you get more bathrooms. You get more ready access to, to food. It's just a better experience, I think, when you're in a venue. And, uh, and then this whole thing happened. I immediately texted him, like, hey, you know, you, you should get on Twitter and see this because this yeah. could have been you. If this didn't happen... Yeah, you know, and 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 uh, you know that PTQ never happened or whatever. That could have very easily been any other shop. So this needed to happen, I think, one or two times for Wizards to see. I think in this case, it only took one time for Wizards yeah. to understand that this was an issue. Right. One time for Helene to acknowledge and say, "Hey, we see this as an issue." But but she immediately said, and I think this is really important. You know, there are people saying, "Hey, this store shouldn't get PTQs." Um, you know, you should give this back to the big, the big uh, PTOs like they did in the past. And she immediately said, "Well, that's not fair to the stores that have run good PTQs." And I right. agree. Yeah, I yeah. think there are stores that are doing a damn fine job that's of right. running a tight ship, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not that definitely isn't fair to to those shops that have put you know the, the hours in to to run a tight ship. So anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting topic, and I'm, I'm I think we're all on the same page. Is there uh, is it like are they allowed to? cap the event i don't know no they're not allowed to cap the event so there's there as a store you know if you are thinking we're gonna get 50 to 100 people that's fine we can accommodate that and then you then 200 people show up i think that's a problem that it's a little bit of a shock to the system for sure but i'll give you this example i went to a ptq in richmond um i forget the store's name oh man i'm very upset with myself now but the store was expecting 50 or 60 people and they got you know, 130, and they were like, man, we are slammed here. But you know what they did? They didn't turn people away. They used their upstairs loft storage space and turned it into more play area. They set up tables in the back. They did everything that they possibly could to accommodate the players. In addition, they weren't planning on having enough players to have, have to try to give out prize support down to top 16. They were like, well, 50 players, we can give prize support to top 8. That makes sense. But they realized, you know, partway through that, like, man, we should probably be giving something away. But we don't have anything. So everyone who's in the top 16 just gets to have a free PTQ the next time they play at that, at that store. That's cool. That, like that's that was like the last second thing that he could offer. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't give you more. We weren't planning for this, but I'll, I'll take down everybody in the top 16's name, and you guys get to play at the next PTQ for free. Nice, right? So, I, I, I mean, that's the kind of effort that even if even if it's not ideal, that's the kind of effort you want from your TO. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you want them to do everything they can. And what my uh, initial point, you know, about capping the events, I'm not saying that. They should, but you put them in a situation where the they do the, the store does everything they can, but it's ridiculous with you know 200 people in an 80 person space. Um, sure, and even if if uh, if the best store in the world was expecting 75 people and got 300, I'm sorry, they're going to break. Right. You know so like I mean? there's they need there needs to be some sort of safety valve there, like. Wizard, you're saying like they're not allowed to cap the events. I think that's something that Wizards needs to talk about because if if it's Wizards that's not allowing them to cap the events, which I assume it is. Yeah, I think that's right. what it is. So you know, obviously the store wants as many people as possible, but if they can't handle it, they need to be able to say, you know, if too many people, if this many people show up, 
we can't do it. You know, they need to post that. They need to advertise it so that players don't drive eight hours and get there and, you know, get turned I away. think that's the real issue. Is sure. The, is it the players who had traveled from across state lines to play in this thing showed up early and were like player number 85 to try to sign up? Yeah. Yeah, that's an yeah. issue too, right. I mean, these are issues, they need to be worked out somewhere, but there certainly needs to be something done for a situation that is, uh, you know, unexpectedly out of control. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think the way that Wizards is handling it is, is pretty awesome. I think the, the way that they've, you know, sort of organized their organized play has been amazing. So if, uh, if you have a chance to not just, you know, complain or, or say something that's bad about it, you should tell them that things that, that stores and, you know, um, the stores are doing right. So if you have like a, a PTQ, um, in your shop and it's, and it was amazing. And, you know, they did a, you know, they rented a venue out, they got dealers and it felt like a, a, a well-run PTQ. Then you should, you should tweet at her because the, the way that these stores are, are giving, uh, been, been given invites, I think is based on whether or not they had a good showing the last time, you know, they want to, they want to continue to, I'm sure, give opportunities to shops that haven't ever run them before. But, um, I mean, that seems like a, a good way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, the, the, the point that she made on Twitter that says, um, you know, we don't want to punish the stores that did a good job. Yeah. Underlies a bigger point, which is we're not going back to the old reason. We've crossed that bridge. Mm. We're not going back to the old the old system of, of the big TOs. Um, and I think that that shows incredible faith in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is like, you know, we've only been here for a little while. Eventually they'll get it right. They're still learning. And once they do get it right, it'll be a better system. So <laughs> I'm pretty happy that they have faith in the, in the local else or the, uh, um, what's it called? Local game stores, LGS. There we go. The LGSs. So, uh, anyway, uh, if you have any comments on the, um, you know, the modern talk, please be sure to leave them in the comments here. If you have any decks that you think are underexplored in standard or new standard, be sure to let us know if you think there's a card that's popping out. I'm actually really curious if there's just anything that we're totally missing. And the spoiler and the spoiled cards that we've seen so far, but uh, no, do you guys have anything else to add for this week, Jerry? Wanna- no, I think that's everything. You guys are all good. Um, just you know, go follow us on Twitter, that's like right. us on Facebook. We need more Facebook people. I want to have lots of discussion on there. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Go read Cranny's article. It's very good, very thought provoking. I wish he wrote more, but he doesn't have time. So, <laughs> yeah, very very good article. That's uh, it's on Star City. Posted on Friday. Right. Yeah, thanks. So, thanks for uh, the feedback, guys. Check that out. Follow Cranny on Twitter at KStube. Follow Ruben at MoxRuby. Follow me at... That's R-E-U-B-Y. Yes, it is. Mox, R-E-U-B-Y. Uh, you can follow me at Affinity for Blue and follow the show at InContention. Until next week, we are at InContention. Contention.